you're not having fun. <laughs> Man. Whoa. You're such a rebellious lot. Do you realize that? You're such a rebellious lot. You know how much the enemy is spending. How many trillions of dollars he's spending and has been spending. How the education system and, and the financial system and everything is working together to stop you guys doing this on a Sunday morning. Do you know how rebellious you are? Do you know what a pain in the butt you are to the enemy? He's doing all of this to stop you coming here, to stop you praising God, to stop you living a life of Christ in me, the hope of glory. But you are persevering. You're pushing through. You're saying, stuff you. I'm going anyway. And to do this in the middle of a CBD, how rebellious is that? You know, you guys, you could cause a revolution. You know what a revolution is? It means to turn upside down. It means to substitute a power with another king. You guys are revolting. Come on, say it. I'm revolting. <laughs> Amen. Woohoo! Oh, I love it. I love it. Oh, you guys, you worship guys, man. I've been uh, trying to, what's different about these guys? What's different about you? And what's different about it is you don't just bring worship, but you carry dominion. You carry dominion. You bring the frequency of dominion. What is the frequency of dominion? It's the frequency that brings substitution. It brings substitution from the kingdom of the earth to the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, it's what, it's what Adam and Eve were designed to walk in. You know, God says, I give you dominion. And you guys have taken that. Whether you're conscious of it or not, you've taken that. And you explode it. You know, you change an atmosphere. When you, when you, when you guys let loose, when you, you just think you're playing music, but you're bringing dominion. And right here, you're bringing dominion into the center of the CBD of Nelson. It's so strategic. God is using you in amazing ways. He sent you to Greymouth to do the same. To change the atmosphere. And you're doing it. Hey, sis, you come out here. See this beautiful lady here? You need to treasure her. Why? Because of her fucker papa. God is doing something. She's a forerunner of that that is to come. You know, her ancestors were the prophets that first worshipped Jesus in this land. They're the prophets that that brought revival on a scale that this nation has ever known since. You know, her, her forebearers welcomed God into this nation like no one else had ever done before or since. But he's raising up a new generation. He's raising up a new move. And amongst the 
the Maori people and those that carry that genealogy. I'm sorry I don't because I'd love to be in it. And it's a, it's a level of the prophetic. It's a level of the seer anointing. It's a level to walk into the, in the heavenlies, into the supernatural realm and disestablish the things of darkness. Why do you think the Maori people have been so oppressed? Why do you think they're the ones that are getting smashed up in drugs and all of that violence and all that? It's because the enemy hates them. He's had a taste of what they can bring and he's fearful of it. And so I treasure this sister. I, I treasure what she carries. You know, out in, out in Richmond, we had this, we've had these, these, these people coming and they have mongrel tattooed across their throat. Last week we had one coming and he, he had headhunter on his jacket. I love that. I love that. You know, the guy that mongrel tattooed on his throat brought along the guy that's got headhunter on his back. I love headhunters. Jesus is the head. You know, these, man, oh, it gets me wound up because, you know, this this. This thing, this thing to hunt out the head is the, is the cry of mankind. But it's been polluted, it's been twisted by the enemy into something dark and something nasty. But God is causing a revolution. He's causing that to turn upside down and these people with headhunter written on their back are now starting to hunt out the head. And so I welcome you, sis. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> that even though you, you probably feel alone at times, there's an army walking behind you. They're coming. They're coming. And you need to be ready because they're going to come in here too. You're going to have guys with mongrel written on their throat coming here. You're going to have headhunters coming here. You're going to have people come from deepest darkness because of the light that you carry. There's a homing signal for them. Yeah, cool. Woo! Yeah, you know, in Isaiah 43, God says to Isaiah, he says, do not, do not think of the former things. Which is, the words are actually stronger than the think. It's like, don't dwell on those things. Don't make them your focus. For I'm doing a new thing. And then he says this, now it springs forth. Now it springs forth. You see, if you're always holding on to, a, you know, it doesn't matter how good it was in the past, God's taken us from glory to ever-increasing glory. You know, so, so yeah, the past was good. There's been some awesome things happening here. But this is a new season. This is a new season. This is a new day. This is a new walk. There's new things for you to encounter. There's new things for you to embrace. There's new things for you to receive. There's new levels of anointing for you to walk in. You know, the city needs to be saved. We're no longer growing our church. We're growing the kingdom. We're growing the kingdom while there's one soul in Nelson in the region that is not saved. We have failed. For God desires that all shall be saved. He desires that not one will be lost. You know, he leaves the, leaves the 99 to go and seek out the one. We're here on a mission. Your life is perfect. You're full of purpose. You're full of destiny. 
But if you stay in the past, in your past, you'll miss the future. So I just encourage you, just do a, do a, do a shift. Just do a shift in your thinking. Just embrace tomorrow, embrace today. For God's doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. What's he doing? <laughs> yeah. What's the new thing? The new thing is, and it's starting now in Nelson, this thing called the flood is more than just a good idea by Hannah Wilmshurst. It's a movement. It's called the flood movement. And, I, and I'm just so encouraged seeing see you guys meeting with other churches because it's a movement. It's a movement. It's a movement of, of sons and daughters. It's a gathering together. It's a, it's a well, we've got this awesome worship band, but hey, you guys are really, you know, and it's bringing all of our goodness together as one to go after that lost, to transform this region. Do you believe it can happen? Yeah. <laughs> of course it can. Of course it can. Look at what, you know, look at your history. Look at what happened to the Maori people when they got the gospel. And they were, and that was the first fruits. Yeah, that was the move of the Holy Spirit in this nation. <laughs> Oh, I love it. I love this place. Mm, always have, actually. I've been here before. Quite a few times. I had Tony Saxon prophesy over me one day. I was, uh, so my story, I was born in Nelson. I lived, I lived in Mudguard Street. Yeah, I lived in Mudguard Street. I was brought up Mudguard Street. I went to Victory School. I went to Nelson Intermediate. And I went to Nelson College for boys. And uh, I got sick of that pretty quick. And so I went on an adventure. I went on an adventure to Fiordland on a cray boat as a decky. And I thought that was pretty cool because, man, that was such a wilderness. And I loved hunting and I loved fishing. And so it just ticked all the boxes for me. And so, yeah, I was a cray fisherman. And uh, I, I built up and I got my own boat. And then I formed a, a company and... We did all sorts of radical stuff, but, you know, I wasn't exactly a follower of Jesus. In fact, I didn't even believe uh, in God, you know? I would sort of, yeah, and because uh, of what I was doing, um, you know, I had quite a, quite a science-based mindset. And then this, this one day, um, a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, he grew up in Nelson too, we went to school together, hunted together, fished together, went to Fiordland together, and he did this flippin' weird thing. Really weird, like he'd become a Christian. <laughs> and I mean, that really rocked me, because I thought, oh, he's my best mate. You know, and then I, I had to wrestle with that, about how I was going to react to this fact that this guy had become a Christian, and, 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 and at that moment I was full of grace. And I thought, well, he's my best mate, so I will tolerate, you know, him being a Christian as long as he doesn't try and get me, you know. And so, so that was we sort of coexisted like that for a couple of months, and <clears throat> and then one day I was, I was sort of I was sort of sp spurned by some some friends uh, that sort of because this guy run quite a big vessel and and he was coming in every Saturday so he could go to church on Sunday, and, and the crew were getting quite upset and. People were getting quite upset, and someone asked us to go and talk to him and see if we could talk some sense to him. 
So I did that and we argued about God from 8 o'clock at night till 2 o'clock in the morning. And I still couldn't get him to see sense. You know? It's like he, he actually believed this stuff. A couple of weeks later, we did it again, two o'clock in, from 8 o'clock at night till 2 o'clock in the morning. And I still couldn't get him. He's telling me all these weird things that were like this wind coming into his room and pitting into the bed and, and just meeting this God all the time and having all these supernatural encounters. And I thought, my mind was going, you have completely flipped your lid, man. But something, because, you know, when you live with someone in the bush for quite a while on a boat, you get to know when they're telling porkies and when they're telling the truth. And I couldn't get over the fact that he actually believed this stuff. And then one day he says, oh, come on, mate, we'll go out and shoot some rabbits. And so we went up this river shooting rabbits and we blasted these bunnies. Sorry if you like bunnies. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, oh, they were pests. And, um, <laughs> and then we're, we were walking back and I was just about back to the ute. And then this thought just came to my head and I says, oh, mate, I says, funny thing since I've been since I've been talking to you, you know, about this God stuff, I says, when I was a little kid, I can remember talking to Jesus in my head, but now for some reason I seem to find myself talking to God, and that was all the invitation he needed, you know, and right there and then I was baptized in his love, as a complete unbeliever, as someone who was trying to convince my, my friend who had, who had become a Christian that, that he was wrong and try to get him back to the dark side, right at that moment and in that in that moment, God decided that I needed love, you know, and I just, these waves of love just kept coming through and coming through, and my friend was walking beside me, because you don't talk when you're close mates, all right, it's all telepathy, and we're, and we're walking, and, and he says, oh, this is amazing anointing, and I remember, because he talked about this thing called the anointing when we were arguing about God, and I said, is that what this is? And, and he goes, yeah, and that was all we said. Yeah, I know, what an evangelist. Yeah, so that was the beginning of my journey, and, and it is a journey, eh? Because all of this up here had to change. When you get, when you, get you know, actual experience that overrides education. And uh, yeah, and, and so me and God, we've been having a, having a wonderful journey, like all of you. I've been gutted and rebuilt, and, you know, and then I ended up pastoring the Fuel of New Life Church, and... Um, and then God took me to India, been going to India for 15 years, from Pakistan for five, and just, just uh, built a bit of an underground church over there. And, and uh, it's been such an adventure, eh? And then he said, go to Nelson. And I thought, okay. And so Fiona and I moved up here uh, last February, and we've been, we've been having fun at, with the Richmond crew, and uh, Jono and Vanessa, an awesome, awesome team, and and uh, I, met this, I met this rebel here. This guy is so rebellious. You know, I met him in a tower tower. We took our youth through from Tiana and they had a meeting there and he was teaching on the prophetic and, and uh, I was so impressed, bro. And just what you bought and, you know, and the way you taught it. And, oh, it was, it was so good. I, I got saved again. And uh, yes, I've always loved what you carry, Alistair. I talk about you constantly. You know, just, just such a beautiful, humble, you know, humility is one of the, one of the real signs of an actual fivefold. You know, there's lots of pretenders around, but humility is one of the signs of, of someone that's actually walking in a fivefold ministry. And so, 
Yeah, bless you, bro. <coughs> so that was my preamble. <coughs> I just it just helps, you know, when you first come in, that you tell a bit about yourself so that people get a bit of an understanding of what sort of weirdo you are. <laughs> and uh, so I really wanted to wanted to hit a real big one this morning. In my first thing, you know, it's always like it's <laughs> this temptation, eh, when you're when you're a visiting speaker, it's like, what can I bring? And we'll have this big, you know, you know, everyone will be on the floor and there'll be this, this massive anointing and, you know, everyone will, will put, my, put my name up in lights and, you know, we'll forget it because that's not me. <laughs> um, I just love Jesus. So I want to I wanna confront one of life's big questions this morning. This is a big one. What is God really like? What is he like? What, what's his character? What's his personality? Because I tell you what, you, you go and ask a hundred Christians that question, and you'll probably get a hundred different answers. And this is because we, we, we all wear these colored glasses. You know, if you've, got a, if you've got green glasses on, you're looking through green glasses, and everything's going to look really green, right? You know, if you wear yellow glasses, I wear these yellow glasses now for driving, especially at night, and uh, everything looks yellow. And so depending on your mindset, your, your image of God, as you look through that, that's how you start to look at everything that he's doing and everything that he is. It's because of these colored glasses you know you might talk to someone and they'll go oh God's green yeah he's definitely green and then you go and talk to someone what's God like oh he's blue God's just so blue and then you go and talk to someone oh no that person was an absolute idiot everyone knows that God's red there's so many arguments over the years eh? think about it so many arguments over the year. Church splits. Family splits. Wars even. People even abandoning God and church over this one question. The 9-11 guys, they thought God wanted them to fly into a building full of people. Hitler thought that God hated Jews. Crazy, eh? The church taught that God saw black people as animals. And here's a Kiwi one. God doesn't like Maori spoken in church. There's a church in this city that, that believes that. There's just so many gods. So many gods. Gods that are created in our image. So how can you spot the genuine from the fake? You see, our image of God is, is how we see what he is doing. It's what, how we hear what he is saying. How we interpret 
visions and dreams and, and understand the Bible. It's all done through your God glasses. So my question this morning, who is your God? I came to believe that God was an ogre. God was not very nice, if he even existed. That's why I steered clear of him for so long. My old God was angry. He was judgmental. He was ruthless. He was a killer. A dictator and a tyrant. Meeting him that day fixed all that. <laughs> you know, meeting the, him that day gave me a new understanding that God is liquid love. But even these new glasses that I was wearing were still coloured. I was still seeing through these blinking coloured glasses. I began journeying to know him more, but still no model. You know, we can put, we can say, oh, that, you know, I used to think my first pastor was like Jesus, you know, and I thought, wow, if only I could be like him. But there's no perfect image of God in a, in a man. I'm still looking through those darn glasses. I mean, God is so huge. Have you ever thought about him? Man, this is what you, you try to go, no God, well flip. He holds the whole universe between his pinky and his thumb. He fills all things with himself. He was and he is and he will be, you know. I mean, he's, in, he's eternal. He's outside of time. He created time. Have you thought how massive he is? Far out. You try, you know, it's like trying to think, as a kid I used to think, you know, this is infinity, you know, that the, it just goes on and on. And I try, oh, there must be a point, you know, so you try to do this brain exercise to get to the, and then, then you think you're at the end and then there's this whole new horizon. God's like that, it's like he's indescribable. So complex. What is he like? You need to know because there's people out there going to ask you that question. So many Christians I went to seeking to know him were still looking through their own colored glasses. You know, God is green. No, he's red. No, that person's a heretic. Everyone knows God's blue. Do you want a perfect image of God for yourself? No. Come on. No glasses. Pure and perfect. This is the foundation of everything you do in Christ. Or will do in Christ. This is the foundation. How you interpret scripture. How you relate to others. How you walk out your born again identity. Intimacy with God your hope, your future, everything starts at this one point. What is he really like? What is the Father like? Some of you hear that word Father. It may bring up in your mind an image. 
that image may be dominated by your earthly father. And his image of father was his earthly father. If you had a wounded dad who was living out of his woundedness from his wounded dad, that father image won't be that great. That God is then your father. Our father who art in heaven. You know, and if, if that that immediately brings up your earthly dad, then you'll be looking for a twisted image of the Father. Hallowed be your name. What if God's a monster? Why get passionate about leading others to this Father who's a monster? What's he really like, this Father of yours? We have this thing in the church called theology. It gets interpreted all sorts of crazy ways. So I'm going to make it real simple for you. It's the Greek word, theology. The first word is theo, which means the divine or divinity. Ology means the study of. So theology is the study of God. And theology is looking to answer this question. Who is he? What's he like? Who's your daddy? Okay, now I've got you warmed up. Let's go into perfect theology. Perfect theology. See, Philip, the disciple Philip, he had your question. He had my question. Now think about this. You know, Philip had been with Jesus for quite a while, you know, hanging out. He'd been part of one of the disciples. He'd seen him walk on water. He'd seen him heal the sick. He'd seen him raise the dead. You know, they'd sat down and eaten together and parked up in the you know, they've done life together. And then they got to this point where, where Philip, you know, Jesus is sitting down with these cobbers and, and, uh, and then Philip comes up with a, this deep question, this question in the, in the heart of all mankind. This has been man's question since Adam. What is the Father really like? It's recorded in John 14, verse 8. Lord, show us the Father. Show us the Father. Cause us to see the Father. That's all we ask. Wow, think about that. You know, that that, that heart that resonates. That's all we ask. They're walking with Jesus. But they still had this question. When are you going to show us the Father? That's all we ask. Then we shall be satisfied. Wow, can you hear the cry of mankind in that? In Philip's question, is this your heart's cry? Jesus, please reveal the Father so that we can know him. Jesus' answer to Philip is the key to perfect perfect theology. In verse 9, Jesus replied, 
have I been with you? Have I been with all of you for so long a time and you do not recognize and know me yet? Philip, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say then, show us the Father? You see Jesus, you see the Father. Jesus is your perfect theology. John 17, 26, I have made your name, in the Hebrew understanding that means your character, I have made your name known to them and revealed your character and your very self and I will continue to make you known that the love that you bestowed upon me may be in them felt in their hearts, and that I myself may be in them. Whoa. Jesus is the only perfect revelation of the Father. Anything else is error. Hebrews 1.3, He, Jesus, is the sole expression of the glory of God. The glory of God is his personality. It's who he is. The light being, the outraying or the radiance of the divine, and he is the perfect imprint and very image of God's nature. <laughs> oh, you got it? You see Jesus, you see the Father. Jesus and the Father are one. See, I thought Father was a grumpy old dude. Sitting up in a cloud with lightning bolts coming out of his fingers. Jesus was a cool dude. You know, I could sort of relate to Jesus. He was a cool dude, a bit like a big brother. Holy Spirit was a sort of mystical, touchy dude. You know, if you, he was really touchy and sort of fretful. And invisible, which makes it hard. Yeah. <laughs> Then my eureka moment, you know, the Father is just like Jesus. Jesus is just like the Father. The Father's character, his personality, Father God is exactly the same as Jesus. He can't be any different. Soul expression means exclusive. He is the exclusive. He excludes any other Definition of the Father. Changed everything for me. I've got these new perfect glasses to look through. See Jesus, see the Father. The Father, you know, some people say this. Oh, the Father, you know, I mean, I've been in churches for a while. You hear, the, you know, like this judgmental Father that's, that's put out. You know, you're a dirty rotten sinner. Go burn in hell. Dirty rotten sinner. The father is judgmental. His, his whole thing is to, to met out strict punishment for every wrong. Okay, let's test that, eh? Let's look through Jesus' glasses. Jesus trucking along the road one day on his Harley. No, he was walking. They didn't have Harleys in those days, forget that. Okay, so he's, so he's with the boys, you know, and they walk along the road, and, and then there's this big commotion coming up the road, and, and here's, this, here's these Pharisees and these Sadducees who were the, who were the, 
you know, the, the definers of the law, that these guys just dedicated themselves to study the study of God and, and His law and implementing the law and living it out. And so they're dragging this poor woman along the road. And they're dragging her along, and they drop her at Jesus' feet, and, you know, she's being beaten, and she's in a bit of a mess. And they say, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. This is against the law. The law of Moses says that she is to be stoned to death. They were testing him here. The law says, what they're really saying is, it is the Father's will that she be stoned to death. Right? The law was an expression of God's will as they understood it through their glasses. The law says, what they were saying is, God says that she is to be stoned to death. But what do you say? Well, Jesus just said that you without sin cast the first stone. And then it records that it, he gets down on the, on the ground and starts writing stuff in the dust. And I've heard all sorts of interpretations of what that was and we don't really know. It's not really the point. But then all these guys started to get conviction. And they all started to disappear, you know, until there was just Jesus and the woman. And he says, hey, hey, sis, where are all your accusers gone? She goes, oh, I don't know, Lord. You know, they're just gone. And he says, well, neither do I you. Now go and sin no more. Jesus reveals the Father. So many stories like that. So I begin to read the Gospels again through the Jesus lens. The Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. I read the black. You know, you read the red, which is what Jesus said. I read the black. Which, which, you know, gives you, a, gives you a bit of the setting, some of the setting, some of the, what was going on. And, the, and, and, and then I, I'd just, I'd read it, read something like, like that passage that talks about the woman caught in the act of adultery. And, and I'd put my Bible away and I'd just meditate it, meditate on it, you know, when I was at work and just, just thinking. And then it was like, it was an awesome journey, you know? it was like the Holy Spirit, who was our teacher, would then come and just start to unpack that whole thing, and you like, some places you could smell the smells, and, and it was like you're really there, and I'd start asking Jesus these questions, why did you do that? What, what, did, what did that thing that you just did there, or that thing that you just said there, that response that you had to whatever that circumstance was, what, why did you do that? And then the, the Holy Spirit would start speaking to me and teaching me. And, and, and through that, I would start getting an understanding of Jesus' character. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What you see coming out reveals what's within. And so you start to understand his character. And when I had a full understanding of his character, then I'd translate that to the Father. And that was a two-year process for me. Just going, just staying in the Gospels, just reading, asking that question, what are you really like? Cleared up so much crap toss for me. 
Do you know what kratos is? Oh, it's Greek for crap. <laughs> I encourage you today, if there is any difference in your understanding of the character of Jesus and the character of the Father, then destroy it. Go after it. Go after it. Confront it. Hunt it down. Read the Gospels. See Jesus. You see the Father. The image of God drives everything you do. It's the only foundation to build a resurrection life upon. 1 Corinthians 3.11 No foundation can any man lay than that which is already laid, which is Christ Jesus. Yeah. Come to the Father through the Son. Come to your understanding of the Father through the Son. Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Jesus reveals him perfectly. Jesus is your perfect theology. Jesus and the Father are one. Hey, I'm going to finish with this. This destroyed my old stumbling block that stopped me fully trusting God. It goes like this. Here's Jesus going to the cross. This, this crescendo of time, you know, this, this amazing moment. So Jesus is going to the cross and he's in the garden. You know, and he's in the garden and he's, he's like, man, he's saying to the guys, look, hang with me, pray for me. Man, I'm, I'm going to be going through it. And they all went to sleep, which is really cool. But he's in the garden and, and the pressure that was on him, because Satan was there. It doesn't record this, but I believe that this was the case. Satan was there, the accuser. He was saying, because he knew what was coming up. He knew what Jesus was on about. And he's, he's like, like he was in the, in the original temptations. He's going, mate, you don't have to go through this. You're the son of God. You don't need to do this. You don't need to do this. You can just take over the world. You know, you can just speak a word and the storms obey you. You can just, you don't need to go through. You don't need to lay down your life. You don't have to put yourself through all this, mate. Come on. Trying to get him to obey him. Trying to get him to obey him, just like he did in the first one, out in the wilderness. Because you realize you're a slave of the one that you obey. And Jesus was there and he's, and he's just, the blood was coming out of his skin with the pressure of the moment. And he says, Father, take this cup from me. Is there any other way? Is there any other way? And he said this beautiful thing, but not my will, but yours be done. But not my will but yours be done. And then you know the story of Easter, you know, that, that Jesus carried his cross, and, you know, he was whipped and he was, all of that stuff happened. And then they hung him on, they nailed his hands and his feet to this, to this cross of wood and they raised it up. And Jesus is there, and I can't even imagine the pain and what he was going through. And then he cries this out, My God, my God, 
why have you forsaken me? Which means, my God, why have you left me? This, this question, this thing messed me up. This was his beautiful son. His only son. You know, and he's here, you know, your will, not my will, but yours be done. Here he is, hanging on this cross. And then, out of his mouth come, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father, why have you shot through and left me alone? Now, over the years, there's been this teaching, and I've had it, and I've preached it, that because of the weight of the sin of the world that come upon Jesus as he carried our sin and our shame, that the Father, who was holy, could not be with sin and shame, and so the Father removed himself from the Son. And in that moment, God cried out, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that caused this, this thing in my heart, like, can I really trust you? Can I really trust you? When the going gets tough, when I sin, are you going to go, oh, yuck, like you did with Jesus? Are you going to shoot through? When I'm going through hell and the devil's tormenting me and coming against me, you know, if I make a wee slip up, if I'm not perfect, are you going to shoot through on me? Can I count on you, me? What's that word worth? You know, I will never leave you or forsake you. Well, you did it with your only son when he's been perfect. How can I rely on you? This question was burning in here. I was not even conscious of it, but it was there. And then one day I got this. You see, Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. The Jews, for thousands of years, have been looking forward to their Messiah. That was the Messiah was going to come. The Messiah was going to deliver them from every oppression, from every thing, you know. And and so. Through all the writing, all the, pro- all the prophets, all the prophecies, right from the start, right through to this point, had been talking about this Messiah. There were certain Psalms that were known. See, as a, as a Jewish kid, you didn't go to school like we did. You, your school book was the Torah. It was the law and the prophets. And these kids used to memorize it. And so the Psalms, they'd memorize the Psalms. And this is the audience. These are the people that are in front of him. Not probably the Roman soldiers, but the rest of the team. All the Sadducees and Pharisees are sitting there, you know? And so here's, here's the Messiah on the cross. He's giving them a message. He's saying, go back to Psalm 22, you eggs. Go back to Psalm 22. What does Psalm 22 say? It starts with this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It finishes with, it is finished. 
Jesus was on the cross saying, Guys, you've just done this to your Messiah. They all knew Psalm 22. They all knew how it started. They knew what it contained, every detail of his life. And here he was, their Messiah on a cross. It is no accident that Psalm 22 has been taken out of the Jewish scriptures. Because this, this fact that they crucified their Messiah... They can't even handle it. He was saying, I am your Messiah. God didn't leave Jesus on the cross. God was Jesus on the cross. Corinthians 5 19 it was God personally present in Christ Jesus reconciling and restoring the world to favor with himself God did not abandon Jesus on the cross God was Jesus on the cross if God had to separate himself from sinful men then how did he hang out with a murderer like Moses? How did he hang out with a murderer and an adulterer called David? How did he come to me? How did he saturate this sinner that never invited Jesus into his life? Never been <laughs> with liquid love. The Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit are one. They're not three different personalities. Three different functionalities, but not three different personalities. Jesus is God in human form. A form that you can get your head around. Jesus is God with skin on. That you can, you can actually start to absorb and understand. See Jesus, see the Father. Your perfect theology is Jesus. Amen? If God the Father, if you have a God the Father that's any different than Jesus the Son, then you need to repent, which means change the way that you think. And repenting on this is so good. It's so good. It's so freeing. It inspires a greater love the Father. It removes doubt, it removes insecurity, it removes a wrong type of fear. Serving Him, His ongoing mission to man here in Nelson, then becomes an expression of your love, not an expression of slavery, not a f of fearful obedience. Oh, if I don't do this, I'm going to get seared by a lightning bolt. That's another kingdom. A kingdom that is, that is functioned by fear is a totally different kingdom whose head is Satan. Kingdom of heaven is held together by love. Then there's this Hebrew word, yada. Y-A-D-A. Yada means intimate experiential knowledge. 
That's the knowledge that comes through encountering God. Like with me, you know, God the tyrant become a God of love through encounter. Who he really is. God the Father met me. He baptized me. A sinful unbeliever in liquid love. And that encounter changed my God glasses. So seek encounter. You know, God, it's so beautiful what was happening here this morning. It's like, you know, we just, just get more and more in love with him. Fear not, for I am with you. Fear not, for I am with you. Can you trust God? Do you trust God? Look at the Son to see the Father. On the way to the cross, the Bible records that Jesus had six, twelve legions of angels at his command. We gloss over that bit. <laughs> Just let me expand it for you a bit. Twelve legions, a, a legion of Roman soldiers was 6,000. So Jesus had 12 times 6, for all you mathematicians, that's 72,000 angels at his command. Now, angels are not little Barbie dolls with wings on. They are massive. They are massive. If one come in here, he would have to bend down to stand in this room. I saw one one day in India. He looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime. <laughs> he had, he had this, this silver armor on and like this look on his face like, man, you didn't want to... And, and he had this big ass, like this Arabian sword across his, I was in an orphanage and I said to God, who's that? And he says, oh, that's my guardian angel I've put over the children. Jesus had 72,000. In the book of Kings, it records in one night, one angel went into the camp of the Assyrians and slew 185,000 Assyrian warriors in one night. That's one angel. Jesus had 72,000 at his command when they were slapping him in the face, when they were spitting in his face, when they were ripping the skin off his back, when they were pulling out his beard, when they were putting a crown of thorns, 72,000 angels were getting very angry. 72,000 angels, the darling of heaven, was being tormented and abused by these weak little puny little human things. 72,000 of them were getting very angry. If Jesus had a just one second said, I've had enough of this, get him, mankind would have been obliterated from the earth. But no, he took it all. He had a mission. That mission was you. Your freedom, your salvation, your relationship with the Father. And he did not relent for one second. He didn't give up for one second. He fully completed his mission. 
for you. Didn't relent for a second with that much firepower at his fingertips. Can you trust him? See the son, see the father. That's why, you know, when you have this confidence in God, that's why when he says, yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be with you. When he says, fear not, for I am with you. Do not look around you and be dismayed, for I hold your right hand with my rightness and my justice. When he says to you, don't freak out, we win. <laughs> when he says to you, behold, I have given you power over all the power the enemy possesses. Can you trust him? When he says, I will never leave you or forsake you, do you trust him? Well, look at the cross. Look at the cross. Look to Jesus. He never wavered under pressure that we can't even imagine. He never wavered in his pursuit of you. Can you trust him? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Jesus, we're just so, so in love with you. Because you are our father with skin on that we can look to, that we can embrace, that we can get our head around. Sorry, you know, our, our puny brains are not capable of, of containing all of you in your glory, in your fullness. But we can see Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We can see Jesus that is the perfect image of the Father. We have perfect theology at our fingertips. And so, Lord, this morning I pray for everyone here, and not just in this building, but over this region, Lord, that there's a shift, a shift from error and the understanding of who the Father is to a purity and an exactness as they see the Father through the Son. So, Father, yeah, I just ask now that you just come. For everyone who's, who's had a wrong image of you, everyone that's carrying father wounds from their earthly father, who is carrying a father wound from his earthly father, who is carrying a father wound from his earthly father, right back to Adam. Lord, we forgive our fathers for they know not what they did. And we shift our our understanding of Father from that broken model to the perfect model, Jesus Christ, the one who came out from the Father into the world, 
he says the same love for Father in John 17. The same love that you have for me, your only son, you have for them. The same glory that you have given me, you have given them. May those words just sink and find a new root in these beautiful people's hearts. And may they go from this meeting today with new glasses on that, that perfectly see the Father. That beautiful Father that says, you are my son. The focus of my delight in whom I am well pleased. Amen.